much for our listeners. Welcome to TNTESQ. I'm Teresa Quinlan. I'm here with my co-host, Reese Thomas. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We make up TNT, and we're here to explode the status quo. Our series is really all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently so we can start doing differently. So I'm really excited to welcome our guest, Brian Kelly, founder of Brian Kelly Leadership Coaching. Reese and I both met Brian and we really enjoy spending at least an hour a week with him in our Humans First Club on Fridays. Brian's focus is around accelerating growth in people and teams, really trying to create better human and business results. Your obsession is around challenging the status quo just like we have. Some of my most interesting conversations I have ever had have been with you, Brian, because you're like a spectacular collaborator and a curious, quote unquote, George without the mischief. Maybe a little bit of mischief. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome. We're so grateful to have you joining us today. Thank you, Teresa. It's happy to be here with you. Awesome. So let's dive in. You're obsessed with challenging, with discussing. You look up a lot when when we have conversations as well. It's that sort of exploration and visualization. And it seems that we, when we become obsessed with something in a good way, there's always a story for how that maybe came about. So where did your thirst for curiosity, exploration, challenging come from? So it's interesting. Uh, curiosity, I think, has always been a part of me. And uh, it's part of my story in terms of muting that for a while. My shifting of vulnerability is a big part of my story. And I think the curiosity piece came to life once I reframed vulnerability and I got more connected to myself. I'm a possibilities thinker. I see possibilities with everything, right? And so if there's a different way to look at a topic, I get curious about what that is. And I get excited when I might find one to introduce and share and, and get people's thoughts on that in terms of how might we look at something differently we talked a little bit about one of our conversations about evolution, right? And, and, and the topic of change, we talk about change transformation. And I was talking to Mike Bacante, one of our friends the other day about that. And it's, for me, it's change is an outcome of growth, not a, a fuel, a, a piece to get to growth. It's an outcome of growth. I'm always thinking about, in particular with people, what is brilliant about them? And, and that's what, where my curiosity, my curiosity is typically about people and ideas, but more so people. And then ideas come into play when it's, oh, where are they looking to go? How can I help them see a way, a pathway there? How can, might I help them get to where they're going and look at things from a lens outside of what they might typically do? And so it's really about expanding curiosity and awareness, because oftentimes I find myself and just human nature is to look through our own lens. Mm-hmm. And I just have been fascinated by hearing different ways to look at things that help me see differently, because I think that's the journey that I'm on is to help people see differently so they can create what they want to create for themselves in terms of their life or their career. Because oftentimes I think we get boxed in to where we're, how we're looking at things and what we're looking at that we can't see for ourselves that yes, it is possible for you to do whatever it is you want to do, but maybe not from the place that you're at right now. So how do we get you to a place where you're able to see, um, not necessarily what I see, but other ways to get to where you want to go or to get greater clarity on where you want to go. Just think this is an interesting way to start our discussion because the first, almost the first thing I heard you say was, you know, change is an outcome of growth. And I'm like, what? Hold the phone because I've never heard that before or it expressed in that way before. If we think organizationally, change is the springboard to help people grow into something else. And yet 
that might be the primary problem why people are so resistant because they're not looking for growth in that moment and you're going to force it upon them so if we were to cultivate and a workplace environment of curiosity, of natural growth all the time, maybe change wouldn't be so hard. Yeah, so think about it, right? Is you could have change and it be different, but not positive or building towards something better. Whereas with growth, you have that. And so it is going to be different if you grow. Inherent in growth is positive movement forward. Yeah. And we talk about change transformation. So we have all these change transformation efforts in the workplace that fail. Mm -hmm. And so the focus is on change, which is different. Maybe implied growth, but even the language around that is about change. Maybe that's not clear what that is. Growth and what growth looks like. If we talk about what growth looks like, I think you get the clarity quicker than what change looks like in terms of how we get to where we want to be. What does better look like? And better is growth. It's not change, it's growth to me. And different, it, it could just be different or it can be different and better. And growth to me is different and better. I love this rethinking or challenging of the status quo about growth. Perfect, perfect for this uh, conversation. But I'm just gonna come back to um, the original question. Such a powerful change has to have been caused by a powerful causality. I know that you work for someone for a very long time and then you've changed to something else. So. You don't have to get into too specific if you don't want to, but I think for people who are listening to understand the actual moment, the, the minutiae of the detail that caused that huge, amazing leap that you've gone on, before we get going on the rest of this journey, sure. it would help. So what unleashed me really was when I reframed vulnerability. So it's 2013, 2013, I'm going through Georgetown's leadership coaching program. Excited about it and knew that directionally that's where I wanted to go with my career. And I was struggling, right? I have a natural inclination and want to help people. And so that was coming out in my coaching from a human perspective. What's wrong with that? It's fine. But from a coaching perspective, what that does is it inhibits my ability to listen effectively and get curious about what's important for and meaningful for the client. So that was happening. I was going through trying to apply that what we're learning in coaching. Fast forward to, so this was starting in January, going through June, August. In May, had a conversation with my learning circle advisor. So, mm -hmm. and we uh, send in our super uh, calls for supervision uh, feedback. And she's like, What's going on with you? And so she was noticing that I wasn't truly kind of putting things together there. And uh, it made me realize that I needed to decide whether I really wanted to be a coach or not. I knew I did. And I was like, What? I had to have this deep introspection. It brought some tears to it because it was really kind of going really deep to find out what's getting in the way of me being able to be who I know I can be in terms of uh, serving as a coach because I'm going to need to invite others into vulnerability mm -hmm. to be able to connect with their people differently and lead people differently as, as I work with leaders through coaching and um, consulting and people development work. And so I had to question my own relationship with vulnerability. And so what um, and ultimately happened was I reframed vulnerability. So vulnerability had always been weakness for me. Vulnerability is weakness in terms of that's what I had learned. And as I go through this process, I reconnected vulnerability to vulnerability is human. It's our humanity. It's what helps us connect with one another and it's strength. It's not weakness. And so from there, what I had been doing all this time, I'd been muting the best parts of me. All the things that people that meet me after that point, they see readily. I wasn't showing up because I was in my head 
I guess you could say 100% of the time. I want to give myself at least, you know, like ivory soap, 99.9%. I'll give myself that 0.1%. But <laughs> typically, always in my head. And I'll give you an example. Like we're doing through a practice coaching session in Georgetown, right? A really emotional one. I was an observer. And my learning circle advisor goes, Brian, you know, tell me what you're feeling about what you just saw. I had nothing. I, I, I had literally had nothing because I was so disconnected from my emotions. Mm -hmm. And that was different after my experience. And after I shifted my um, relationship with vulnerability, because I, all these sort of inhibitors that I put on myself, this restrictiveness, the self-protective mode that I was in, wasn't there anymore. And so this whole notion of how did I become curious? In childhood, I was curious. It, it happened to be through sports and other activities that I engaged in. So it was innate there too. But the suppression that had gone on, the muting that had gone on, had sort of literally locked off my ability to access it. And so after that, what kind of was the first inclination that, hey, it wasn't just me that was kind of noticing this. Uh, the last set of classes, I go to um, the building, go up to the second floor, get off the elevator. Between the elevator and the classroom is 100 feet. Two different classmates stopped me separately and said the exact same thing. They said, you look lighter. Huh. And they were not talking about my weight. Right. They were talking about the proverbial weight on my shoulders that I was carrying around being in self-protective mode all this time that was no longer there. And while I didn't need that validation, the fact that they did validate it was like, okay, cool. Now they see it too. Because I was walking along during this period of time in incongruence. What I wanted in terms of my career, what I call wearing my work mask in there and kind of not accessing all the strategic, creative, innovative ideas I would have. I would play small, uh, I would fit in and survive, kind of the, navigate what the environment was. And now that's what brought me to the curiosity and passion around changing that because I've experienced it. And it's like, hey, I got to, to hear by going through some, some challenging, difficult stuff. It was difficult for me anyway. Mm -hmm. And so as I go now and serve others through this mission of unleashing human greatness, it's about unmuting people and getting them to, to get curious and about themselves and what lights them up and how do they serve themselves and others through who they uniquely are. Because that's when we get this igniting and accelerating shift in business culture. We talk about it from the standpoint of the workplace and that's the starting point. But if we do it there, it's like the 80-20 rule, right? We get a lot of the toxicity out of that. We have a place where people can feel empowered, enabled, and excited to bring their best self, mm -hmm. that changes their all aspects of their life, not just their work environment. I had a conversation this week because I'm working for an academy. And so I'm a coach for the participants in their academy program. And we meet with them about five times throughout the program. So I met with one of the participants for the first time. And in the first meeting, generally, we just talk about like, what do you want to talk about? You come as the participant of the program. We could talk about course content and how you're applying it in leadership, but we could talk about what you're experiencing and take it really wherever you want. And she had said, I'd really like to have a better relationship with my manager. And so she went into some of the details and we ended up getting to this space where she had described, whenever he says something I disagree with, I completely shut down because it's unprofessional for me in the workplace to, to tell him how I'm feeling. And I was like, oh, we've just met for only been 20 minutes. And I'm like, tell me a little bit more about that. Is that all the time? Is that just in the workplace? She's like, oh no, at home, I have no problems. Like talking to my husband, sharing how I'm feeling, but in the workplace, there's no place for your emotions in the workspace. And I thought, well, 
let's try to talk about that a little bit and see where we can go with, you know, what do people miss out on by not hearing your emotions? And her whole sort of sticky point was that expression of your emotions, showing up, sharing your voice, always had to be in a sort of negative way. She's like, well, I can't yell at people or do this. I'm like, well, why is that the only way that you would express your emotions? So I'm pretty sure in your career path, you meet people like this all the time. Mm -hmm. How do you help them? In terms of how they feel like they can bring or not bring their emotions to the workplace? Yes. Okay. So this is obviously a huge topic. We get back to the muting conversation, right? So Mm -hmm. if we're not we're not saying go yell at your boss, go, you know, bring all the difficult parts of you to your work environment. Or if you're having a bad day because you've had a loved one pass away or your child is sick and you need to leave and there's a pressure crunch here or something like that. And you feel conflicted because you need to attend to your personal matter and the work needs to be figured out a different way. To not feel like you can speak up about that is difficult. So the, uh, the guidance would be was paying attention to what you need. And being transparent with it. Not that it's easy, especially in a culture where that's not something that's done very often. But if we start with honoring our needs, Mm. we're being in integrity with ourselves, right? If we don't do that, then what path are we going down? We're going down the path of the work mask in terms of, uh, I'm making the choice that my personal situation, which is very emotional for me or has little to do with work, but all to do with family that matters to me and my values, I, I kind of have them look at why does you matter take a backseat to anything else? Mm-hmm. And I often talk about the reframe of people and they, they determine their language around this, but their reframe is typically something around I matter. It can happen and it's not a gender thing, or, but parents, moms, those are that are conditioned to always put others first have built up a muscle like that. And so oftentimes, last person they think of is their self. And so the reframe is often, what if you took care of yourself first and trusted that the other pieces will get figured out? So that's the individual side. And then from the workplace side, it's you have people with manager titles, leadership titles, and we don't ask them or expect them or hold them accountable to manage and lead. Mm-hmm. So if someone unexpectedly has to leave the office in a crunch time for a project because of something that is a value of theirs, something happens to a family member, that kind of thing, we can't as a team of professionals figure out a plan B to that. What does that say about us individuals in an organization? Mm-hmm. Single person dependency is something that there's not a plan B for unless it's like brain surgery mm-hmm. that needs to happen right now, a delay in a project. I'm not, not saying let's have uh, inefficient processes in place or other things so that we delay projects, but take into effect that there's human stuff that goes on beyond the nine to five or whatever your work hours are. And even during your work hours that, you know what, I need a moment mm-hmm. or I'm in a meeting and I've been moved by something uh, that happened and I need to cry. And this notion that, Releasing emotions like that is not okay. We need to change the mindset around that. Are we saying go in and kind of ball all day? And No, but there's moments where people are being human and that can't be perceived as bad and not, not held with gentleness. This notion that we have to have a work version of ourselves right. and a non-work version of ourselves. Nonsense. And so the reason that we have this notion of that is because so many people have chosen to put on their work mask. 
And what I'm kind of admitted to as part of a group of folks to do, along with many of our friends, retiring the work mask. Because when we do, that means all the other things that we focus on in terms of creating the conditions, the work environment, seeing one another and honoring one another and acknowledging one another as uniquely brilliant, no matter what that is. All the things that we want to kind of create differently in the workplace, that's the outcome of it, is we can retire the work mask because we're all energized to come in, we value one another and ourselves, so it's strategic interdependence, right? It's not just, I get my way, you get your way, but you know, how do we look at the shared purpose of what we're doing, bring our best contributions, honor that in others, and when we have development areas, honor that, be willing to be vulnerable that we have development areas, and step into that with confidence. Mm-hmm. It's interesting distinction for me is that you can be, as an individual, come and wear your own mask, your work mask, or you can be as an individual who's coming in, maybe you've got rid of your work mask, you're completely, you've had this awakening moment, you're open, you're vulnerable, but as soon as you go through that door, someone's putting that work mask on you. So it's almost like it's um, a forced work mask. Then it's a question of like, who's making that person do that? And, and how far up the chain do we need to go to get rid of this, to retire the work mask? It's interesting because it could be different in different places. Yeah. A lot of things go back to relationship to self, right? And so if we're in integrity with ourselves, that could work to a certain extent. You do that, you choose to, to retire your work mesh and you go in and the environment's still toxic. What do you do then, right? You could still be in integrity with yourself and show up that way and try and be the light for the, to create the change and do it in your own piece of the world and not kind of the entire company, but within your team, for instance, mm-hmm. and help them see differently. When that doesn't work, then I guess it becomes this notion of, like you were saying, Reese, where do I, how do I influence this change and where do I need to go? Not everybody's willing to do that. People might just kind of go back to where they were. It's the easiest thing for us as humans to do is kind of go back to that comfort zone when we get resistance from day to day. But what about your back to your integrity with yourself and what matters to you? And if you try and do this, right, if you come in and try and create change, and there's no, nothing's happening, nobody else is even engaging with it, it may be an indicator that the environment's not right for you. And mm-hmm. so there's this notion of, oh, I've got to stay where I am. Or, you know, and if you're comfortable, you don't want to start over in a new organization, that's fine, but that's a choice. The other, another choice is to stay where you are and try to influence from where you are. And then others are making the choice of, you know what, I'm trying to find an environment that I can land in that would even be something that it would be amenable to me. And I'm not finding that. So what is it that I am connected to that's a purpose for me, that's something that I have passion around? And how can, might I go do that by, on my own or with other people in starting a new business? And what we're seeing a lot of is people becoming entrepreneurs or solopreneurs or doing whatever their passion is on their own because the reality is from the Gallup statistics, around 70% of people are disengaged at work or actively disengaged at work and they just need to get out and they need something to be connected to something that's meaningful that they're not finding in their current workplace. Well, it's interesting because all three of us have done that. Mm-hmm. We have all made that decision to cultivate a work that brings us great fulfillment, great joy, great passion. We get to We've removed our masks. We are fully and completely who we are. We've embarked on our own businesses and our business is actually directed towards helping other people remove their masks, helping organizations to become this. What I think right now 
a lot of workplaces would believe is a utopian state. Like we see it, we want it. It's so far away from where we are right now. How do we even get there? Like you were in one, you tried for so many years. The influence is really difficult to do. You're like, it's true. It is very difficult to do. So when we think about going about helping other people, there's so many entry points to be able to help. I'd love to drive our discussion towards like, where do we help? Where do we start? What do we try doing with people? How do we get them from where they currently are to the next stage in the process? Not the utopian state, because that takes time. I mean, removing your own mask takes a little bit of time. We're not going to turn around an organization in 30 days. The first step for me is getting clarity, uh, whatever that is for where you are now, right? And so you're here now, you don't like your work situation. Is it the role you're playing? Is it the environment? What is it? Sort of, are you running away from something or running to something? Mm -hmm. And so getting them in the mindset of what is the, the current state, you know, get grounded in that and where they're at with that. And what is the aspirational future state? Oh, I want to be a speaker. I just had a conversation, great conversation. And it's, it's really about get clear on the next step. It's not mm -hmm. like, we're not going to figure out where, you know, Brian, you're going to become a coach. No, what is the next step? The next step is getting clear on what matters to me. So it gets back to your values, how you want to contribute, what are your strengths? How do you live your strengths? How do you live your values? And what about how you serve aligns with who you are, right? So for me, it came to coaching because someone held up a mirror and said, this is what I'm seeing. Have you ever thought about, it? you should go to Georgetown, Brian. You want to help other people, develop people, develop teams. This is a program I've been through that you might find valuable as maybe your next step. And so I ended up leaving my company before I had any idea of what the next thing was going to be because I knew I was going to do something in this space. I just didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. But I already knew I was going to go through a program where I'd make connections to other people going through the same journey, a community of people going through the same journey. And then my, what I've done since then essentially is connect with communities. So yes. the latest one is Humans First. I connected with communities I wanted to serve. So nonprofits from the Asian community, Latino community, because diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity is something that matters to me in terms of how I want to affect uh, positive change. And so I'd be on the boards for these uh, organizations, nonprofit organizations, the local chapters of national organizations. I would connect to coaching communities, strength strategy, people acuity, that is similar in terms of people trying to create an impact coming at it from different ways, but what can I learn from this community of people who are like-hearted, right? In terms of how they want to make a difference in its purpose beyond self. And then getting connected to humans first, I was like, wow, what Mike created and how he created it with that, it's like, he just created a space and wanted to see who showed up. I told him this for the first time on Tuesday when I met with him in Chicago, the Humans First event. I've told other people, this is what I think he did. And I was like, all he did, not, he didn't set up as a business, he set up as a place where people can come together, like-hearted people, to have conversations we typically don't have in the workplace. And what happens then is people then have it, offline conversations with each other and take this back to the workplace. So there is support and a model for creating change. Mm -hmm. And so, but it starts with self. Where am I? Clarity around where I want to go. And so if you have your why, we will figure out the how. I think that's really interesting because there's so much talk about, you know, finding your purpose and finding your why and everyone's saying that you need to do that before you can get, get on to what is you want to actually make a difference in. But as you just so eloquently described there, and, you know, for me, the same example, perhaps the same for Teresa, 
you had an idea and that idea evolved over time through interaction with other people, through an understanding you saw a new area or a new demographic that you wanted to help, you felt you could add value here, you started somewhere, you learned something and then from that you built it up and built it up. So I would say to people who are, you know, getting hang up saying, oh, what is my purpose? It's such a big question. How do I do that? Don't worry so much about, you know, finding the exact answer in, in the instant. Just have the belief and, and have that as the, the driving force that will push you forward. And as you go forward, the road might bend, the, the road might fork, the, the road might go in a U-turn. You never know, but yeah. you will get there. And the worst thing you could do is not start. So I, I really appreciate you, you sharing that um, that journey that you went through having, you know, the reality is that it took you a bit of time to get there and it took a lot of uh, experiences to crystallize and maybe maybe there's still room for it to change. Maybe you haven't finally settled on the piece. Would you say there's still? Great still- point, Reason. absolutely. So I failed a lot. Again, if I go back and say, what do I do differently? Just start. Do one thing, step into something that feels right. And then, then you're gonna experiment a little bit and see. Yeah, this is right. So going into the, one of the things I did intentionally because I wanted to serve, because I also wanted to learn about communities different than myself, as I volunteered and then became a board member for Latino community, uh, Asian communities, just to get a sense from being in the community and engaging with the community, what the, the challenges, opportunities, needs were, that kind of thing. And so that wasn't necessarily getting me any revenue but I was building relationships. Mm-hmm. I was learning. There's, so there's, you got to start somewhere instead of saying, I've got to have it all figured out because that can be very, very much a showstopper for you. It's like, oh no, it's too big for me. I'm not going to do it. The missteps along the way, if I had to do it over again, I would just start small. Perhaps See? the one thing you do have to have done is you have to have your mask off. You have to have done that self-work. If you're going to just determine your purpose and t- start stepping forward, your limiting beliefs need to have been taken care of 99.9% of the way. Those of us who have worked on it know every once in a while we hear them and they step in and they might grab us for a couple of minutes or they might grab us for a half a day, but they don't linger for very long after that once we've worked on them. It's pretty difficult based on the people that I've been speaking with who are trying to step into entrepreneurship or trying to step into their purpose, they still haven't really freed themselves to their greatest human potential yet. They haven't gotten rid of those really big barriers that are having them second guess everything, needing to have perfection before they move forward. I think that's one thing you absolutely have to have taken great steps towards. And and so, yeah, so doing your own work, right? And so, one of the things I'm noticing that you made me think about, Teresa, is when someone is interested in do, making a change like that, they always go to, well, how am I going to do it? May, may I make an observation? The observation is you've got to shift your relationship with yourself and kind of go through that work process because guess what? When we do that in terms of maybe building confidence or how you see yourself, that kind of thing, when you build that muscle, we'll probably either along the way figure it out or you'll be better positioned to, or we will be better positioned to figure it out the how piece of it. But it's interesting, almost without fail, when we start talking about, oh, maybe I, they get excited about something. Oh, but I'm, I don't have this certification. I don't have this, all these kind of limiting things. I'm like, don't be too concerned about that right now. And let's focus on you. So what will it take for you to have the 
whatever the limiting belief or the, the thing that's lacking right now, confidence, uh, have faith where you can't see something right now, but you're going to do it anyway and learn and grow, having a learning and growth mindset instead of the scarcity mindset, an abundance mindset. And so if we have that kind of a foundation mm -hmm. and we have this foundation with self is I don't need to get it right. I need to try, fail, yeah. learn quickly, try something different, continue to learn and grow. If you build that kind of a foundation, your ability to deal with failure, ambiguity, all the things that might put up a stop sign for us becomes astronomically better. And that's difficult for us in terms of, oh, I, I got to have this. Oh, I don't have this PhD degree. I don't have, because you compare, you start comparison, the toxicity of comparison in terms of things that, oh, I, I'm not, I don't have this. Teresa's got her emotional intelligence certification. I don't have this. It's like, okay, well, Teresa's started at a different place. She has different, perhaps different goals. So this is where we got to get back to you. Where are you? Where do you want to go? And what is the next first step in terms of getting you to the point where you can step in your courage mm -hmm. and your vulnerability so that you can get to where you want to go? Because if you don't take the first step, you'll never take the second step. Right. That comparison thing is such a slap in the face because when people look at it and start comparing, I always... I generally ask the questions I'm like, well, are you, are you trying to do the exact same thing that they're doing? No, well, then why do you need to have everything that they have? Sure, I have my EQ certification. Are you looking to coach people with EQ? No, I'm looking to actually speak about, I'm like, well, what do you need for speaking then? Exactly. <laughs> you need to have something to talk about that you're really passionate about. It's pretty much all you need. Then you just got to go find people who are willing to listen to you. And it gets back to the growth <laughs> change conversation a little bit, right? Is, oh, I, I see that. That's what I want but I don't have what this person already has that I don't have that. Instead of asking the question of where am, what do I want? Where am I regarding that? And what do I need to grow to be able to do what I want and maybe use that person as a model or reach out for a conversation to maybe ask them what their journey was like and get some advice or some guidance on how they did and maybe ask multiple people. So you get, maybe make a connection. Oh, maybe I thought I wanted to do this, but really I want to do this. So you said earlier about the one thing people have to have done is take off their mask. Like, do I only have one mask? Do I have more than mask? As I'm going on this journey, as I'm discovering my purpose, will more masks come off? And then it made me think of a totally different sort of analogy of like the, like the Russian dolls where, you know, you start off with this yeah. thing. <laughs> right. And you take one off and you sort of like, hang on, that doesn't sound like growth. That sounds like sort of the opposite of growth, but actually you're getting back to the actual core of who you really are yourself by removing all these things that you don't need. And so it's just what's left in the middle is yeah. your heart, let's say that. And that, that ultimately is where we end up looking. I know what the execution of it is. They're going to their analytical brain doing this. And it's like, what is the driver for that? The driver is gonna come from the heart and where there's meaning, right? And that's what's gonna sustain, even on the learning journey, because even you may have a vision for what it is, sort of like I was explaining from me, I'm not saying my journey is, uh, everybody's journey, but I think typically people try, they learn, they adjust, then they keep doing that. And so to your point, Reese, am I still on that journey? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Every day, because I, part of the journey I'm on is to invite conversations around topics that matter, which is coming out in the videos that I'm doing now around topics that matter to get different perspectives. And that gives me an idea of, oh, maybe I can go, come at this a little bit differently and offer uh, maybe a different program or reach a different community in a way I'd never thought about. You talk about evolution. Evolution's like, I have a vision. I know I want to retire the work mask. I want to unleash human greatness. 
That can happen in so many different ways. I'm going to try different ways with different communities, get some feedback on that, stay with what's working, make some adjustments, and continue to be curious about what are the needs of the people that I'm serving because what I thought were their needs six months ago may be different now. The mm -hmm. world changing so much. And in the business community, we've con got to constantly check in with, hey, is my, are my assumptions around what my community needs still accurate? And am I communicating to them in a way that's connecting to them because the language I used last year might not work this year in terms of making that connection. Brian, what do you mean by human greatness? Because I think perhaps some people listening, and even myself, you know, the first thing I start to think about is how smart we are. My greatest potential is what I could offer what I know to the world. So if you could clarify for us what you're talking about when you say human greatness. Thank you for asking that question. And so unleashing, I, I didn't want to put your unique human greatness because it's too wordy. What it is, is unleashing whatever is uniquely brilliant about you. If that's analytical, executor, great. If that's running a nonprofit that serves underprivileged kids in a particular community, great. And it gets down to strengths too. So looking at strengths, values, and alignment. So Maya Angelo is talking about when what you do and who you are and how you serve are in alignment. Mm -hmm. you know, it's getting people reconnected to themselves. So unleashing human greatness in individuals and teams. So individually, where are you versus how you get energy from contributing? Not where you're just simply a good performer, but also you are energized and bring energy so that the people around you are energized by your presence in that environment. And then within teams, unleashing human greatness within teams. Again, an assessment of where you are mm -hmm. and where you want to go. What, what is it that you're looking to change to be different in your team? Mm -hmm. And you start with the individual components kind of looking at where they are and what we're looking at. And then there's the collective of the team having a goal. And how am I contributing to that team? How is Teresa? How is Reese? How is Brian contributing to that team? If I, if I just look at what I've typically done or maybe what my job is, there's a contribution there. And then there's all the stuff that uh, wasn't on my resume. I get curious about that stuff. I was like, well, tell me about a time when. It's appreciative inquiry, right? I want to know the story about Teresa, if I'm talking to you, about your human greatness and what you see it as. It's about who you be more than who you do, actually. Most of us secrete our human greatness to what we do. And I'll offer that it's probably more likely to be found in who you be. That's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Right. Um, sorry. I feel like I've been having a, a coaching <laughs> uh, to refocus. So it's getting to that time of the day. We, we want to, we have a hashtag and a question, uh, not anymore. Um, so Brian, the hashtag and question for you is we can't not pay attention to the need for humans to be curious in order to grow. We can't not pay attention to humanity and kindness and compassion and changing our current trajectory in the workplace so that we can uh, explode the status quo. Um, so to help our listeners start doing differently, what would be the first thing you would recommend they start doing to try and... Unleash their human Unleash, yes, unleash their human <laughs> yeah. The first thing would be to connect with their noticing and notice their energy and their language. And is that congruent with who they are and how they want to be contributing? I listen for that in coaching all the time. And if you're telling me that you want to, oh, you want to bring more um, humanity to the workplace and you want to create these conditions where people can do the same and you're showing up with self-judgment or judgment of others and these other things or your language is saying that, 
or there's incongruence there, then notice that and say, wait a minute, there's an opportunity for me to create change right there in myself. And then that, then I can bring this new version of myself and curiosity about how I might show up differently. And then maybe you need to work with someone like a coach or somebody else to kind of help you through that. In order for people to be differently, they have to start by seeing differently. Ask people, what has your experience been like with me, coworkers, in terms of my engagement with you? Uh, what do you like? What would you like to see differently next time? And it's always about like, positive, and then differently next time rather than what do you hate about me that I do all the time. And all this, no judgment. That's such a big deal, the no judgment. Watching yourself like a hawk is one of my favorite exercises for self-awareness. Watch how you speak to yourself. Watch how you behave. Watch the words that you're saying. Watch the cues from other people, right? Watch, 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 watch. And then figure out what it is that you want to keep doing and what it is that you want to adjust or shift or change. Mm -hmm. Love yes. it. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been such a pleasure to, to have you on the show. I've certainly learned a lot and uh, I'm sure our listeners will have enjoyed just, just hearing you speak. I mean, it's just, it really is beautiful. If people want to connect with you, Brian, uh, Brian is on LinkedIn, um, but how else can uh, our listeners get in touch with you? So my website, BrianKellyLeadershipCoaching.com or social media, LinkedIn, Instagram. Yep. yep. Perfect. I'm sure you know, Brian, but we like to end the show with a little bit of fun, uh, 10 rapid fire Q and A of each of our guests. Are you ready? Let's do it. Awesome. Okay, number one, manager or leader? Leader. Number two, active or reactive? Active. Number three, black and white or gray? Gray. Number four, optimistic or realist? Optimistic. Canada or England? Canada or England, interesting. <laughs> Both? <laughs> Sorry on that one. I can't. I can't pick between the two of you. <laughs> Excellent. Number seven: empathy or assertiveness. Empathy. Number eight: introvert or extrovert. Introvert. Number nine: logical or emotional. Emotional. And number ten: innovation or process. Innovation. Fabulous. Thank you so much for having a bit of fun with us at the end um, and a whole lot of learning. Your passion for what you do and why you do it is self-evident from that story you shared with us right at the start, which is why I was really key to sort of pinpoint on that because you had that same experience and you want to share it. I think that's something, a commonality with most coaches that I know. It's, yeah. you know, you've done it, you've seen it, you've experienced it and it's changed so much for you that you want to have that same change for as many people as possible. To our listeners, I hope you enjoy this episode. Subscribe, comment, rate, all those things you know we love. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again next time on TNT ESQ, where we'll be back to challenge the status quo. Teresa? Thanks, listeners. Thanks, Brian. Thank you both. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Oh, music. Do, 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 do. <laughs> to join in. That's how the out music goes. Everybody starts singing. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us on this episode of TNT ESQ with myself, Teresa Quinlan, and my co-host, Reese Thomas. It was a pleasure having you stop in and listen. 
Until next time, keep challenging the status quo.